Well, Lord, we ask that you will bless your message to us now. Bless Robert as he uh, speaks to us of the things that you laid on his heart during this week. And we ask that we might be blessed through the reading of your word and the hearing of it. So be with him, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, thanks, Bob, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me give the talk this morning. So it's called, uh, in a minute, I'll be reading from Philippians uh, chapter 2, which is page 1179 in the Pew Bibles, although I will be reading from a different version. So I'll be reading that in a minute. So what what the talk is, yeah, I can see it in, on the back. Yeah, because last time when I spoke... And let me just take my, sorry, just trying to get myself organized. Just take my watch off. Yeah. When I spoke last night, it was on Palm Sunday. And uh, then when I was thinking about, the last few weeks I was thinking about this talk. And I was thinking about things, because the talk is called Jesus is King. I was just thinking about things. I sort of sensed that what I brought on Palm Sunday is sort of dovetails into this talk. So what I'd like to do is, uh, I'd like to, st- the first section in this talk is just to recap briefly on what I said on Palm Sunday, and then we progress that. And the second uh, section is like worldly kingdoms, things which are temporary. And almost, it's like a backdrop, in a sense, I think I'm wanting the focus of this talk to be like in sections like three and four, they kind of go together, it's the positive thing, Christ's kingdom that lasts forever, and uh, our response. And they, they, they sort of go together. So those are the positive things. But what I'll say in section two, it's more of a backdrop, just so we get a total perspective on things, if that uh, makes sense. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing the computer for me as well, Paul. That's great. Yes, yeah, so I'm almost organized there. Uh, just thinking of a funny story. And I think this happened about... I was only told about this. I think this happened about 20 years ago or so, a couple of decades ago. And at the church I used to go to, there were some people, some friends, and they would, they went up for this to do some hiking or walking in the Lake District. And uh, I think the reason they, they ended up getting lost there, I don't think it was anything to do with the night or sort of fog. I think it was just something, they were, they were just being silly, to be honest. From, from what I remember, and uh, they had to be uh, brought to safety by the, the actual mountain rescue team. I had to go out and get them because my friends, because they'd been lost. And then, uh, after they'd been rescued, they were brought to a point of safety. And then this lady, she said to the rescuers, "Do you know?" She said, "We are born again Christians." <laughs> so. Anyway, so what I'm going to do now is I'd like to read from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, to set out the theme of Jesus as King, and then we'll sort of get into the talk. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If there be there for any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. Okay, so... Okay, so, first section. I'd like to just recap on the talk I gave on Palm Sunday. That uh, Remember how, how Jesus, we looked at how Jesus, he rode into Jerusalem. And I think the Jewish people there, he thought that Jesus, he was going in to sort out the Romans. But he didn't. He went straight see, to the money changers. And he confronted, like, religious leaders. And uh, for us, quite often, we want Jesus to deal with the external things, the things which sort of annoy us. I mean, I know that I do. But quite often, Jesus, he'll start by going into our hearts where, where we need to have the right attitude. So, so we saw that. He dealt with the money changers. And then we saw there were two kinds of sins which are sort of epitomized in the parable of the prodigal son, is he had the money changes, people who, th- who thought it was all about making money. And that's just like the younger son. Uh, he, he, he wasn't interested in his father. He just wanted his money off his father. And then the other sin is when you've got this pride, when we don't want God to bless other people. We've got this sort of, you can have this innate kind of meanness that we think God should be kind of harsh and we become mean ourselves. And that was like the elder brother and like the Pharisees, you know. So, and I just remember with, with the young, with the young, I used to get these because uh, e- sometimes because I buy things of e- of eBay sometimes, and of course you get these e- these marketing emails. And I remember one that I used to get that I thought was quite funny. I mean, I still get emails off them, but one email that I used to get a few years ago that was quite funny. It used to say, "Well, Robert, Sundays are for the money makers." Don't know if anybody have used to get, and I thought, well, just kind of epitomise anything which is kind of sacrilegious, you know. So we saw the two kinds of errors then, and we also saw that God He didn't actually deal with the Romans straight away, but He actually used them for His own purposes, 
like in the Christmas story, the crucifixion, the Roman roads, the Apostle Paul. So God used the Romans, and then he allowed them to disappear. But then, of course, we know that in, uh, in the book of Daniel, I think I just briefly mentioned, there was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So this takes us on to... Um, the wrong button. Yeah. yeah, worldly kingdom. So, as a backdrop, let's look at the things in a sense which don't, which man maybe thinks are okay and they, and they don't work. So, in Daniel chapter 2, it tells us about how Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream and nobody could sort of, uh, none of his wise men could give him the answer. And uh, the dream was saying that there was this massive big statue, like excellent in brightness, and the form was terrible. And there was this head of gold, and that actually signified, because Daniel said, well, that this was you, the head of gold. So that signified Nebuchadnezzar's own kingdom. And then after that, there's another kingdom, signified by the breast of arms of silver, that there were two arms, and that was like the, the Medo-Persian empire that would follow on. And then, on part of the statue, lower down was the belly and the thighs, which were of brass. Now, we would assume that that would then stand for the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great, and then the legs of iron, and we would take that to be the Roman Empire. And then, before that, well, after that, there were the feet of iron and clay with ten toes, now, we'd take that to be, we probably understand that probably towards end times, there'll be some kind of re-emergence of the Roman Empire, because that's where the stone landed, because in, in the dream, it talks about this massive big rock, not cut with human hands, and that uh, landed on the feet. And... Uh, yeah, so... and. We, and that's a rock that would stand for, uh, represent Christ's kingdom because that is the kingship which will last and all these other kingdoms, the only temporary. And it told, tells us the whole statue, it became chaff and then it was all blown away. And then the stone itself became larger and filled the whole earth. And this is the kingdom that God is setting up. And then, of course, we know King Nebuchadnezzar, he sent for his wise men and the magicians. He wanted them to tell him the dream and the interpretation. But I think the wise men thought, well, okay, if, if the king, if he tells us what his dream was, it, in a sense, they could just like make up anything, tell the king what he wanted to hear. And if it was fairly nebulous, you know, the king, he'd have no way of knowing were they right or not. But he said to them, but basically, Nebuchadnezzar, he was saying basically, can't remember the dream. If you're any good, you should be able to tell me what the dream was. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you all in that. So verses 4 to 5 says, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, which other translations have Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. And I think sometimes evil people, they can be very kind of calculated 
in their thinking. It's almost as if, well, being cut in pieces, that's not quite severe enough a punishment. But just to make it more appropriate, your houses will be made a dunghill, you know what I mean? It was very calculated. But then Daniel, it talks about how Daniel, he then praised God, and then he acknowledged that God is the revealer of secrets. Because verse 19 tells us that the, it came to God, God told Daniel the dream and the interpretation in a night vision. And then, and then verse 28, Daniel tells the king, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So notice that Daniel, he didn't say, well, see, all your wise men, they don't have the answer, but I do. He didn't say that. He said, no, there is a God who interprets it. So Daniel, he was saying, well, this is God who gives the interpretation. And he was, was, was praising God. So even though he was able to save the people from the, king, from the king's wrath, he sort of gave God the glory. So there's a pattern here because we know that Moses, he delivered the people from Egypt. And Joseph saved people from the famine. Gideon saved people from the Midianites. And then David, he saved his people from the Philistines. So there's a pattern of like men of God saving people as they acknowledge God and God showing his mercy through people. But there's actually a warning here with, the wise, with those wise men because I'm guessing probably the wise men, they were probably thought, well, we're on to a good thing. We're the king's special people. But sometimes we can go in for different ventures. We can align ourselves to certain things because they seem to maybe promise happiness, shortcuts to happiness, uh, money, like the mammon, gambling, alcohol. And then they seem to be really good. But then what happens later on? They, trap, they, they get you in some very insidious way and then they'll ha- harm you as well. So that's how, how, how sort of Satan works. You've got approval addiction people wanting to gain favor with their own efforts, with pride. And then you've got kind of religious, like the prophets of Baal, they were like sort of cutting themselves. So you've got so many false systems which appear to promise you something but give you nothing. And that's how Satan deceives people. So these are the sort of systems that don't work. And then also Satan, he, when people go the wrong way in Satan's way, he deludes people into then thinking that they're invisible. Because I think we can safely assume that, well, before World War II, I would say that the Japanese Empire, I think we could safely assume that there was satanic involvement in that because they worshipped Hirohito. They actually saw him as being a god. So I think we can safely assume that there was satanic involvement there. And of course, the Japanese people, they thought they were invincible as well. When they bombed Pearl Harbor, they thought, well, it doesn't matter if we go to war with the United States. We thought, well, we can't lose. And, of course, they lost in a very big way. I mean, even before Hiroshima, because you think about the terrors of Hiroshima, but even by then, half of Tokyo had already gone in firebombing. So they lost in a big way. And, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, Eric gave us, he gave us a really good talk on Ecclesiastes about, like, like all his vanity. And that a lot of people, they want to climb the ladder to success. And uh, they find, well, at the end of the day, the ladder, it was propped up against the wrong wall. 
So the kind of things we get concerned about, and then will they matter a year from now? And that, I mean, having nice, having nice things, there's nothing wrong with that. At all. I mean, God's not against us having sort of nice things. And that. But we've just got to watch out that they're not there just to boost our ego and that they don't become a distraction from the things of God. So these are things we've just got to watch out for. So the, all these things, they're all kind of linked into like the worldly kingdoms, the things which don't last. So that's the negative side. So let's look at the positive now. Things which we do want to get behind. Yeah, and that's Christ's kingdom, which is everlasting. So let's look at the things which, uh, which do last into eternity. And uh, so I think the things we need to do that will have eternal rewards, the first thing is like when you take Jesus as a personal saviour, he is king, but we want to make him individually king over all our lives. Things like acts of kindness to others, done out of a pure heart, helping vulnerable people, obviously doing work in Kimberley, it's obviously fantastic, you know, and obviously it's great, we're praying for Sean, and it's fantastic the work that God's doing there, and it's great, as a church, we can support that, Kimberley. Serving in the church in... Uh, what might seem like, I've put the word small in, uh, in, in quotes, maybe what maybe seems like a small way behind the scenes, not for recognition, but these things that are very valuable because people, we're doing, we're serving, not for ourselves, but because we can see Christ's kingdom, which is everlasting. So we're not doing it for commendations, we're serving because we've got, we've got the vision, we see that Jesus is king, we want to serve him. Being in our relationships, being gracious and forgiving. Giving to mission and charities out of a pure heart. Being a good worker, in your place of work, be a good worker, get to work in time. Don't always just be clock watching, looking to get away as soon as you can. Always do well at your work, just to glorify God. Have good attitudes at work. In the home life, if you're a parent, be a good parent. Be a good grandparent. Go the second mile. So we see how Satan, he exalted himself and then he was cast down. Jesus, he humbled himself and he was lifted up and exalted. He has the name which is above every other name. He has the authority and he confers that onto us by way of the Great Commission. We want others to accept him as king in their own personal ways. So when we look to reach out, we are acting under his authority and instruction in a sense, we don't have to witness. We get to witness, play a part in the establishment of his kingdom here on earth, which is the kingdom which is going to last. So in a sense, we've got a, we've got a job to do. And I'm thinking, I mean, I only became a Christian because somebody spoke to me. I mean, I used to be agnostic. And then somebody spoke to me about the Lord. So I, for a long, well, Tell us about maybe 18 or so. I was going in the wrong direction, but then God just spoke to me. And I'm sure we've all got this testimony. We were all like in the wrong kingdom, but God, by his grace, he just showed us the true kingdom and uh, he saved us. So we want others to be saved. So it's about good newspapers, tracts we have at the side of the church and God wants all to be saved. Uh, 
2 Corinthians 4 says, We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. So Christ's kingdom, it's one where all are welcome. And nobody's too bad that Christ can't save them. And no one is too good that they don't need Christ. And it's said, at the foot of the cross, the ground is even. And that's why Jesus is the only way to be saved. It's because everybody's born into the sinful condition. Jesus' death and resurrection, it's the only acceptable sacrifice to deal with our sins. So Christ's kingdom is one which is ever-expanding. People are getting saved all the time. I think I read somewhere, it's estimated maybe in the whole world, maybe one out of every three person is a Christian. Because we see the fastest growth in, I think, South America, Asia, and Africa. Lots of Muslims coming to Christianity. Because I think in the West, we've been blinded by sort of religious tradition. And I think so many people, they can be kind of anesthetized in this country to church, to Christianity by church tradition. So that's why we just need to be very clear getting the message out. But Christ's kingdom is still increasing. Okay, so, yes. So, so, so what's our response then on a personal basis? I'll be handing back to Bob just in a few minutes. So on a personal basis, what's my response? We know that Jesus is king. I mean, whether people like it or not, Jesus, he is king. But we're invited now, and of course one day it'll be obvious. Because I saw once in a, a picture went around Facebook, said something like, atheism is only a temporary condition. One day every knee will bow. So Jesus, he is king, whether people like it or not. But in this time of grace, he invites us as individuals to make him king over our lives on an individual basis. And that's also, and that involves in making him saviour and lord. And like the steps in terms of somebody becoming a Christian, I like to think of them in terms of A, B, C, D. And I think I got this years ago from you know, the old Journey into Life booklets. So A is like admit you're a sinner, be willing to turn from sin with God's help, believe that Jesus died in your place, Paying the price for your sins, then you rose again. See, consider that being a Christian involves your life changing. So you live to please Jesus, not yourself, and accept that people might ridicule you for your faith. D is like the do accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. So it's like you may believe a train is going to Blackpool. But unless you actually get on that train, it won't make any difference to you. So you need to get on it. So similarly, People can have a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but the faith that needs to go into your heart, you get personally involved. And that's like when somebody says this prayer, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, but I want to turn from sin with your help. I believe you died in my place, taking my punishment, and you rose again. Come into my life as my Savior to take away my sins by your blood it's my Lord to change my life. I will serve you as you enable me by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So after someone becomes a Christian, then it's important for that person to go on with God. And then as individuals, 
have your daily quiet times with God where you pray and read your Bible. And because the Holy Spirit, he speaks with a quiet voice, so we need to be quiet to hear him. And then when you read your Bible, look for something new. And it might even be a Bible verse. You've seen it, you've read it ten times before, but maybe you read it on this occasion. You find it resounds in your heart in a new way. It becomes very personal to you. And then praise and thank God for his faithfulness, both for what he has done and for what you know and you believe he's going to do, and that's an act of faith. Sometimes you're praying for situations and the ongoing things, and quite often I've prayed for, I've encouraged people, prayed for a continuation. We say, Lord, thank you, Lord, you're moving this situation. Please continue maybe to move in that person's life to bless that person. Pray for others and opportunities to share your faith with others. That's like your personal evangelism. Then attend church. Be committed. See where God would want to use you. But I think for new people, you just when people are just kind of coming to the church for the first time, I think the first step is getting to know people. Because I know one or two people, maybe at the church, they maybe emailed me and they said, okay, Robert, if I come along to your church, well, what can I do? And I would say, okay, well, just get to know everybody first. Just kind of settle into the church and then just let God uh, guide you with that. So be ready to receive from others. It's always like a two-way relationship. And then support church outreach projects, corporate evangelism. And that's all feeding into uh, God's kingdom. So, yep, thanks for listening. And uh, I trust you're all blessed just from this message from the Bible. And let's all of us just pull together. We're looking to Jesus' kingdom because Jesus, he is king. So let all of us just get behind him, support the work of the, the ministry. And thanks for listening. And God bless you. I'm just handing back to Bob now. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Bob. As Robert was speaking, it reminded me of a library book I've got at the moment. Uh, It's called The King, and it's the life of Roger Federer. And partway through it, and up to now, it's just talked about all his faults, really. And I was just thinking of the, the king of sport and uh, the kings that we raise up during our lives and then Jesus the king who is absolutely perfect in every way and he, the life that he offers us far greater than any life that can be offered us by others. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see what happens in this book and uh, as we come up to his uh, glory days. But uh, uh, up to now we've seen him uh, as uh, the, the tainted king, really. Uh, the faults that he made. Um, right, we're going to sing our closing hymn, which is uh, King of Kings, Majesty. <laughs>